0: From South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus. Welcome to the first episode of This Day in South Bend. On this podcast, we will try to understand our city and its people by turning to the archives of the South Bend Tribune. In each episode, I'll read an article or section published in the Tribune on that date in some year past, some days tying the subject to a current matter, and some days simply enjoying our history. Today is April 5th, 2020. We're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, a crisis that is forcing people around the globe to consider our interdependence, the ever-present but easy-to-miss truth that our well-being depends on the well-being of our neighbors. And so on today's episode, we turn to two articles published in the South Bend Tribune on this date, in both 1917, following the United States' entrance to World War I, and 1968, in the days after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Two tragic moments that, for a time, brought this truth to the surface. First up, April 5th, 1917, titled, County Must Furnish 600 Men for Army, Test of City's Loyalty. St. Joseph County's quota of the 20,000 soldiers required of Indiana for probable service in the present war difficulties is 600 men. The county may furnish as many men as its patriotism dictates, but the state insists that it must provide at least 600 Of this number, 450 are expected from South Bend, but South Bend may also furnish as many as its loyalty suggests. Colonel George W. Friarmuth and Major Charles B. Calvert today took steps to secure the number of men required of South Bend. Enlistment blanks were placed in the Office of the Chamber of Commerce, the County Clerk, the City Clerk, the News, Times, and the Tribune. Any eligible man whose patriotism is sufficient to prompt him to a defense of this country may sign any one of these lists he will be required to undergo a physical examination, which will be made by officers of the Indiana National Guard. If he should have the good fortune to be selected as one of the officers of his company, he will then have to submit to a mental examination. He will be provided without cost to himself the necessary uniform and war accoutrements. And as soon as 100 names have been secured, the state will accept these 100 as the nucleus of a company. Colonel Fryermuth and Major Calvert hope that there will be a rush to sign these lists and that South Bend and the rest of St. Joseph County will immediately be able to provide Indiana with many more men than the country's assignment of men. This is regarded as a time when the appeal of patriotism should be intense and when the men who are eligible should rush to place their names upon these lists. Recruiting at the local Army and Navy stations were more brisk Wednesday afternoon and this morning, three men enlisting at the Army office and two men being accepted at the Navy station. Mitchell Gregesic, 21 years old of South Bend, entered the field branch of the Army Service while Vern Schaffer, St. Louis, and George Peck, Des Moines, Iowa, both entered the Coast Artillery. A large number of applicants have also visited the office during the past few days in an effort to get information concerning the service. Chester H. Roberts, salesman for the Northern Indiana Gas and Electric Company, this morning entered the Naval Reserve Service at the local office and left for Indianapolis to take the examination. Roberts entered the Navy in 1911 and was honorably discharged in 1915, holding the office of Gunner's Mate 2nd Class. Lud C. Moore of Mondova, Indiana, enlisted at the office this morning, entering as a coppersmith. The headquarters of Company F, Indiana National Guard, located in the Central Union Labor Hall, has been open for the past few nights and applications for membership have been received. A social meeting of the company has been called for tonight by Captain Clinton D. Rogers, and if weather permits, a street parade and exhibit will be given. According to Captain Rogers, the company is in first-class condition and ready to leave for active service upon sudden notice. Word has been received from Indianapolis that Horace Ellis, State Superintendent of Public Instruction, has given orders to the school superintendent of the state that all boys who enlist in the National Guard or Regular Army will be promoted to the next grade, despite the fact that they leave before the semester is finished. No word to this effect has been received by the local superintendent as yet. Following a plan being introduced throughout the state and nation, local theaters will aid in the recruiting work by showing slides advertising the Navy. The theaters in Indianapolis, Chicago, New York have denoted the use of their huge electric signs, which are effectively advertising the service. The Orpheum Auditorium, LaSalle, Honeymoon, and White Eagle Theaters of South Bend are to show from two to three slides at every performance. And next, April 5th, 1968, titled 4,000 March to Courthouse by Tribune staff writer Roger Birdsell. The 4,000 converged on the courthouse downtown, black and white equally together, and rededicated themselves to carry on the work of martyred Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We must rededicate ourselves to see that his work does not go undone, Andre Bohannon, one of the two eulogists at the ceremony, said. Veteran political observers said that the memory of the black leader slain Thursday in Memphis drew the largest crowd to the courthouse since President Eisenhower's last appearance. The hastily organized demonstration surprised its sponsors with its size. It was peaceful, orderly, and impressive. The first contingent marched from Sinai Synagogue west along LaSalle Avenue past the tolling bells of St. Joseph's Catholic Church, which paid honor to Dr. King, a Baptist minister. Appropriately, a body of black youths, students from John Adams High School, led this line of march. Similar contingents marched from all points of the compass. There were a few signs, The King is not dead. We shall overcome. We mourn. Catholic schools were closed for the day by Reverend John A. Vrabely, assistant superintendent for the diocese, and public school students were permitted at the services if they were so moved. A great many of them were. Reverend Lawrence E. Crockett, pastor of First AME Zion Church and president of the South Bend Chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, praised the closing of the Catholic schools and expressed dismay the public schools were not closed. School officials said students who left for the services will not be considered truant if they bring an excuse signed by their parents, a fear expressed by Reverend Mr. Crockett. Albert Garnitz, representing the downtown South Bend Council, announced at the services on the courthouse steps that stores would remain closed until noon and flags flown at half-staff until after Dr. King's funeral. The city hall and courthouse were also closed to business during the ceremonies and flags lowered. A contingent of construction workers at the new county city building joined in the services. In a brief statement at the services, Mayor Lloyd M. Allen mourned the senseless hatred that has taken an authentic apostle of nonviolence. The cowardly act of a sick personality has created new tensions in a nation that is striving to build an atmosphere of freedom and opportunity for all its people, Allen continued. These tensions must not be allowed to penetrate our city. Instead, we must use this sorrowful occasion to rededicate ourselves to the cause of human rights. From the death of Dr. Martin Luther King, the people of South Men must gain renewed inspiration to work for the peaceful progress of all mankind. As a symbol of our sorrow, I have requested that the flags of the city be flown at half-staff until after the funeral, and I urge all of our citizens to pray for the consolation of his family. Allen marched to the courthouse with one of the contingents, as did many other city officials. The city is given the Morris Civic Auditorium for another memorial service at 3 p.m. Sunday. David Sims read a poem he originally wrote on the occasion of the killing of Mississippi Black leader Megger Evers and rededicated it to Dr. King. In the new version of the poem, Dr. King, Evers, and the assassinated President Kennedy are joined in a triumvirate of modern martyrs. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, Bohannon said in his eulogy. A former Washington High School English teacher now doing graduate work at the University of Notre Dame, Bohannon called for a renewed effort to attain the goals of Dr. King, which we now see only as a dream. However, Bohanan did not despair. His words, his ideas, his dreams, and his visions live and will grow and will someday blossom into a beautiful ending. It is now up to us to work together for the fulfillment of his dream. All is not lost, but has just begun. Bohanan nevertheless warned that freedom, love, brotherhood, and unity are words which are not strangers to our ears, but they seem to be strangers to our hearts. He compared the life and work of Dr. King to those of Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for mankind on the cross. We can thank God for having given us a living echo of what was said then, Bohannon said of the ministry of Jesus and of Dr. King. The other eulogy of the services was delivered by Conrad Kellenberg, professor of law at Notre Dame, who called for an affirmation or reaffirmation of the ideals of Dr. King. He described these ideals as the pursuit of justice and full equality for blacks and later for the same goals with poor people, regardless of their race and for peace in Vietnam. Kellenberg said that as a white man he could offer only consolation and not advice to blacks. However, he did have advice for his white listeners. There is a virus of white racism in our land, he declared. And there was racial injustice and inequality in our nation and in our community. There was also poverty. Kellenberg deplored the white disinclination to commit our resources to the solutions of these problems of injustice, inequality, and poverty. He said there was an inactivity of those whites who know better and can provide the leadership to do better. While the open housing ordinance had just passed the city council is a step in the right direction, there was much more to be done, he declared. He urged all his listeners to work for programs of equal opportunity in employment, housing, education, and the achievement of the good life. A message was read at the services from Representative John Brademas, 3rd District Democrat, who expressed the hope that someday America will be true to its creed of freedom and equality. The services closed with the singing of the civil rights anthem, We Shall Overcome. Let us go in peace, Reverend Milton D. Wilford, Executive Director of the St. Joseph County Council of Churches said, as the 4,000 dispersed. Until tomorrow, thank you for listening.